go. Iron Brains, a podcast that always intends to save the very best for last, and then ends up ripping a panicky wet fart while letting the old fat white guy screech and moan to great acclaim. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing, Lori? I don't know what they were expecting, inviting Joaquin Phoenix to anything. He's weird and annoying and off-putting. Today is Monday, April 26th, 2021. How is it still April? It's also a very fast April. I no, mean, it's the slowest April. It, has it been? Uh, I keep on looking up and it's almost over. Yeah, you keep on I keep, looking up. I keep looking up. <laughs> Sitting at my open beer garden without my mask on, looking around at the gathered masses, watching the UFC fights, life just flying by. That's right. Meanwhile, here in Charlottesville, we trudge on. Hey, today is Monday, April 26, 2021. I think I said that. Yeah, we, that's how we got on the subject. of The last Monday of April. Last Monday Speedy of April. By. Might as well do the Oscars first, I guess, since Lori brought up. Old Joaquin. You brought it up. I I don't know what you're talking about. Now, you and Lori are one of the few people that watch that live. I I watch the Oscars every year as live as I can, no matter what. It's like the Super Bowl in that I don't watch really any NFL leading to the Super Bowl, but then it's very important that I watch the Super Bowl. Oh, I see. So the Oscars, I don't watch any of the movies. Right. Almost on purpose. (laughs) And then I must watch the Oscars. You know, we, so don't watch, doing... we don't watch movies ever anymore anyway, and it drives me we a little bit nuts. We watched movies this weekend. Oh, yeah? What's that? We'll get to that at the end. Right. Uh, I guess we will. But I don't... So actually, brief aside here, Abe, you are a great lover of film, and you, you know, o- I... often describe yourself as that when, whenever you're like in a crafty beer place and talking to your... Or on your Bumble profile. Yeah, or your... You're getting a coffee at the at your local hipster coffee shop, and you don't talk about movies, of course. You talk about film. <laughs> I'm not a snotty type, but I was actually looking uh, at my AMC A list history, and since around Christmas time, after I got uh, that little infection that I cleared with these, I've been to the movie. 18 times. I'm literally like in the, I gotta be in the 99th percentile of moviegoers in the last five months. Oh, easy. Easy. And I still didn't watch it because I, and I've been doing this also with sporting events that I don't care too much about. I'll just wait until the next day to watch it. Nice. Because I can just fast does. forward through the, so the, the Oscars that I pulled up earlier today, it, it had a runtime of almost like four hours. It wasn't that long actually, but the recording was almost <laughs> was four in hours. my life. Yeah, <laughs> but it it recorded more than it needed to because the, right. the Joaquin moment happened very early in the in the thing, uh, and that experience was great. 
you know, they should count me. Don't they do the live plus three? I should be included in this. I think, yeah, I don't know. Because those, the so the ratings were terrible, which is what you're getting at. They were, they were Not few, even terrible, like abysmal, off the right. charts terrible. Yeah, ten fewer than 10 million people apparently tuned in according to the first ratings. I don't know if it counts your recording of it and then eventual watching of it in that. I don't know how Nielsen does right. this. My understanding is that it was largely a, I mean, it's as scientific as they can get, but it's it's also taking small sample sizes and blowing them up into larger sample sizes and then extrapolating that sort of data. Although that seems less and less, again, I know nothing yeah. about this. Yeah. But, but it would, they you would think it would be have... less necessary the, the more information that we get in terms of what data we hand over to our ISPs and whatnot, that they could figure out uh, what exactly people are watching and for how long without guessing. But back in the day, they literally had like a Nielsen family, like yeah, just random samples of people. Yeah, and they give them the box, and they would, you know, and a diary, and you had to like keep you. You kept a diary with your Nielsen right. box and everything, like yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> Although, could you trust people to tell the truth on that? Because if I was one of those families, I watch a lot of infomercials, like just not appointment viewing, <laughs> but if I just stumble upon an infomercial, I'm not gonna go anywhere. I'm gonna see how this story goes, you know. So I wouldn't write that on my diary. Don't let anybody tell you Abe's not a real American. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting around watching Who infomercials. Bob and I used to watch so many infomercials. No, no, we did not watch so many infomercials. We would regularly watch the same infomercial, <laughs> like four or five bullet. or six times in a week. So Which much. one was the magic bullet? The magic bullet. Oh, like, oh magic right. bullet's on. Let's watch this. <laughs> well, we could watch that the one. Daily Show for the third time in the last two hours because Comedy Central's always rerunning it. Or we could watch the magic bullet infomercial again for the hundred and fifty. 57th time this year. I hate broccoli. <laughs> anyway, back to my point about before we even get into the Oscar stuff. I sort of despise television. Like, we're watching uh, Succession Season 2, which we didn't quite finish. I forget. We got sidetracked. Near the end, though? We're in the middle of Season 2. Yeah, we're somewhere okay. in the middle of Succession Season 2 with a few episodes left. And I enjoy the show. It's a obviously well-made show. But compared to a, a good movie, I hate 99% of television that I watch. Like, of the great television that I've watched in the last decade, the ones that I say were actually great and good is like Breaking Bad and Mad Men. And that's... Right. True Detective season one. Yeah, and yeah, sure. And True Detective. And that's about the list. Are there ten... I mean, are there three movies... That you could say that about in the last decade? Oh, I I'd, I'd have to look at a list. Or, the point is we uh, don't see movies. Right. The right. point is we don't <laughs> like I don't see nearly as many movies as I used to. To the point where I have Dunkirk on 4K sitting on my shelf, and I just haven't watched it yet. And this is by Christopher Nolan. He's a great filmmaker whose movies I generally really like, and it's just sitting on my shelf, and we just haven't watched it. And it's not because I don't love movies. There's just something about. And this is more about Lori than anything else. She never wants to watch a movie, and I don't understand. That is That would be fair, except for about 50% of weekend nights, I say, I really don't care. I would be up for anything. I would be down for anything. Put anything on. And you don't put on Dunkirk, and that's not my fault. You, it's because I know. It doesn't. No. When that I you say don't, that. You don't want to watch Dunkirk. I'll watch Dunkirk. What if I say, 
I don't care, then I'm not okay, pretending. That's fine. Instead of talking specifics, I'm curious about the, the general principle here because you are perfectly willing to watch super intense and like super bummer television, right? Like Breaking Bad is a great example, or even Mad Men, very well made, but also very intense and and something of a downer. And not to say that it's the same as watching a Coen Brothers movie or something like that. But for me, the intensity of the experience is is similar in terms of trying to engage with really what would call itself art, whether it's television or movies. I would prefer to do that in a movie where I know I'm getting in and I'm getting out in two and a half hours and I don't right. have to worry about catching up. Like there, I think that for you, there's something about the fact that there's 10 hours or 20 hours of something that almost promises that your emotional investment won't be as intense, even if it is really good, well-made television. I don't know. It's the amount of movies I've seen that I think should have been miniseries is more than the ones that I don't think that about. Like, I always think this would be better if you gave me a little bit more. But every miniseries that we've watched... Or, or television series that we've watched in the last couple of years, like any Netflix documentary that instead of being a quick 90 minutes to 120 minutes of tight, focused narrative and action, instead they draw it out over four or six or eight I, hours. I like it longer. And I would much rather get in and get I out. No, It's every documentary I've ever watched, except that O.J. Simpson one that was seven hours that's the only one. Oh, Made one. in America? That yes. ESPN. That yeah. was the only one that I've been like, that was the exact right amount of information oh. presented in the right amount of time. All the short documentaries I watch, I feel like they're leaving so much out because they are. The other way is also true where they drag something out. Like Chernobyl was like, maybe you could have shaved one episode, but it was pretty well paced. That um, movie about that girl who got stuck in a hotel and died or whatever. And yeah. A, in a bathtub no, or something. Dumb. Like, I would agree that with dry. that one instance of, like, that right. could have been shorter. No, that, the, the Denmark police procedural should have been, a, at most, a two-hour-long movie. Uh, what was that? The investigation the thing, should the have problem, been... A, investigation, yeah. I, here's my answer to your question, is that a movie has to, like, hit certain marks at certain times, and if it doesn't, it feels rushed or drawn out. When you give something hours, and each hour has its own little arc, it has a different feeling, and it gives more options. Yeah, and I feel much more often that if I'm watching a long, drawn-out television series, I can feel the creators trying to do their manipulation thing. I feel the creators in a way that I don't feel when I'm watching a really good movie. When even, I watch a movie, even... I want it to be tight and fucking colorful, and they're should be musicals right we like we like wildly different (laughs) movies which is why even though you say that i could choose to pick dunkirk or whatever on a random friday or saturday night i know you're not going to have a great time on that random friday or saturday night to have a great time no you don't but like so let me watch dunkirk uh, you can choose Dunkirk whenever you want don't put that on me to choose something you know that i won't like that sums it up when you guys say Dunkirk, are you saying Tenet, or you guys have not seen no, Dunkirk? No, we saw which was Tenet. Like... No, okay. we watched Tenet because I Tenet okay. was obviously like a Nolan action movie that, like, despite its opaqueness, I knew that 
we could Opacity. watch and it would be fun and and whatever. Dunkirk is a bummer of a long. I tend to not war like movie. war movies right. because they're horrible. They're just waiting for war to happen on them. I don't. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, whatever. I'll watch it. He, Bob thinks I'm lying when I say things. I'm not. This is really about this way a, more. This isn't about Dunkirk. Yeah, <laughs> it's this is about Dunkirk. And it's not about anything besides the movies versus TV debate. And the fact that which Bob I don't think we have that I'm a liar. No, I don't I think say- that you're a liar. I just think that you <laughs> want different things out of a media experience than I do. You don't get to decide that for me. No, I just, <laughs> it's demonstrably true. A, a, do you get a different feeling watching good movies versus watching good television? Well, I'm not in it for good movies, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I uh, full disclosure, I went on opening night to see Mortal Kombat just to kind of tell you that I don't. And by the way, an atrocity. But I go to the theater just for the experience because it's like I'm at a big screen and I'm watching whatever, right? So usually when I'm at home, I do think there is something to the idea of just like. TV shows are more like passive viewing in my mind. Breaking Bad and Mad Men, maybe not. You had to kind of pace yourself with those kind of shows. But there are a lot of shows that you can just you can you can get two or three in in a sitting where your brain doesn't have to think too much. It's just like you know, there's a lot of beats that are similar if it's like a cop procedural or whatever. Now, if you're watching some weird foreign language thing, you have to pay attention the whole time. But most of the time, if it's English. Right. You can, if you so uh, not that we sit around watching Law and Order anymore, but like if you miss a whole segment of Law and Order because you're dicking around on your phone or you went to the bathroom or something and you didn't pause it, you walk back into the room. I could ask Lori like what happened, and in like three words, like the right. whole yeah. the whole fifteen minute chunk can be perfectly explained. Order. Right? No, the most stuff is man not. Did it. Yeah. Right. Most stuff is not th- that in particular, but th- most television is written in that way. It's not quite as bad as it used to be, where like you would leave one end of a commercial break with the characters saying a yeah, sentence, and then, and then you come, come back, back from the, the next thing. commercial break, and the character just repeats exactly what they had said in the moment before, because right. like they don't expect you to keep in your mind for the three and a half minutes of the commercial break what just happened, which is really funny when you watch like the X-Files on DVD or on streaming, and it's like... Buffy does it. Yeah, Buffy does it, the X-Files does it, where it's just a complete, like, you cut from one scene to the next, but it's just the same sentence being repeated. Right. Might be a different take. Yeah, it's usually something slightly different. (laughs) Anyway, that was sort of bouncing around in my head last night while we were not... I mean, the Oscars were on. I was dicking around on the Nintendo Switch playing Worms. Fun game, by the way. But... I love movies, and I had seen, out of everything that was nominated this year, like, and I love Fincher. I didn't see Mank. That movie was uh, bloated. Whew. I kept on looking at my watch when I watched it at the theater. This is too long. The point is, I didn't watch a Fincher movie, and that's weird. I didn't watch uh, Francis McDormand in the movie that won Best Picture, despite the fact that it is on streaming, I think. And yeah. Yes. Well, you might have to pay uh, it's for on, it. It's on the Hulu, at least. Right. We have Hulu. I have access to all of these things, and and also part of the reason that I watch the Oscars, I think, is part of the same reason that I pay attention to Twitter, despite the fact that, as we were discussing the whole last, during all of last week's episode, I was talking about how Twitter is bad for me, but I pay attention to it anyway, because I feel like if I don't, then I'm not participating in a way that 
I think I ought to be participating. It's the same thing with the Oscars. Like I've never really like loved watching the Oscars, but it feels like something that I'm supposed no, to be paying attention to. to. So, so this is. I was thinking, you know, when I when I read how low the ratings were, and, and I don't think anybody's surprised that it was going to be low this year because most yeah. people haven't seen yeah, most of these movies. Seen movies, things are weird. It's fine. And, right, and so I was just kind of jotting down, like, why did I ever watch the Oscars? And, and the answer was always the opening monologue part. The, you know? show, and then the, the musical. The music either part. Either, like, Hugh Jackman will do a musical yep. or, like, David Letterman will do, like, a comedy thing. Like, but there's something. And well, then that person that kind of keeps the show going. And, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll make a quip every now and again. But, like... When you take that away and you take away the fact that most people, I mean, I have seen most of these movies, but most people have not. It's a recipe for like, wait, why am I spending four hours to watch this when I could be watching? There's an element of watching a high wire act, right? There's an element of watching for the train wreck that could potentially happen during live television, which they completely eliminate when you take away the host. When you throw Ricky Gervais on the stage and say, go ahead, say whatever you want, and he rips a new one into half the audience members in the stadium, not to mention the way that him ripping those people is in turn ripping the entire wider 40 million person audience in a way. Right. Right. When you take that sort of a risk, it becomes an interesting cultural moment, right? Where it's commenting on itself, even as, as it's happening. When you take away the hosts, I don't know what you're accomplishing there besides refusing to take the risk. I watch it because I like this acceptance speeches. You're watching somebody's best day of their life over and over and over and over again. Like, it's the same thing I like about the Olympics. Like, who cares about archery? But that girl has worked her entire life to win that gold medal in archery. And that guy has worked his entire life to win his sound editing. (laughs) Like, it's amazing. Right. But And acknowledging that I am all of my personal identity qualifiers, right? However I need to be framed to make this following statement in such a way that proves my bias. The most affecting speeches last night, the one that stands out in my head is the guy who won for best foreign language film or whatever the new category is. Right. Non, yeah. Because it's not foreign well, language film now. It's night. something else. Uh, the guy who's talking about his dead daughter uh, who died right before production started or something like Three that. Three days into production. And like that was that was great to see. This is a guy who... Obviously, the pinnacle of his professional career suffers a personal tragedy, and all of that is revealed on uh, live television, and that was an affecting and moving moment. That was way more moving to me than any of the gestures toward social justice that happened over the course of the night, and it was the, – the night was rife with them, certainly. Was there a lot of that? I mean, there, there were there mentions here and there. There was a whole lot, but that's what we're doing right now. And right. it doesn't and also, have to be like just let them do their thing. Right. They have the yeah. microphone for ninety seconds. They can say what they want. Right. You have to let it run its course, I guess, because you can't what are you gonna say? <laughs> None of that. The other most affecting speech of the night was the Korean lady who won the best supporting actress. For for Minari? For Minari. Yeah, she was great. She's talking about her kids. Yeah. She's charming and interesting and like obviously loving the moment. And you know, that worked too. What didn't work, which actually, and I was like, because 
I didn't realize that Soderbergh was directing or producing or whatever it was, but then you watch that opening sequence with Regina King walking through the train station and it looks like the opening credits to the next Oceans movie or whatever. And it looks really good. And it looks like, ooh, maybe we're getting something interesting here. And then she gets on stage and she makes that nonsense lie about how if the Chauvin trial had gone the other way, uh, last week, that she wouldn't be wearing these fancy heels. She'd have her marching boots on. It's not a lie. It's a unlikely hypothetical. Yeah. She wouldn't have shown up <laughs> at the Oscars, right? Like, you want to turn off a substantial portion of the audience who, to be fair, yes, probably didn't tune in anyway. They weren't watching. Right. That's the thing. I don't think that this is doing anything one way. Do you think? I mean, I'm sure there's. No, a it's number completely of masturbatory. The whole right. thing. Even yeah. the Oscars so white year. Like, all it is yeah. is yeah. self-congratulating celebrity. It's so dumb. But let it's, them it's, have it's, their but moment. They do, but they doubled down on it this year. And that's what was funny to me, is that they tried to do both things. Which is that this year, I think they sort of recognized, we're not going to get an audience, so it doesn't matter. And so instead of, like, doing that thing where they show clips of movies and they talk about how great movies are and how much we can mean to the world at large, that this is America's greatest cultural product around the globe. This is the source of all of our soft power. It's what makes America America in a very important way in the 21st century. There was none of that. Instead, it was all Daniel Kalulawe or whatever. You're so special because of your performance. Like it was, it was intensely about the individuals and what their experiences rather than the way it relates to uh, an audience. Like there was no concern for how an audience would feel or interpret what was going on, which is fine. If that's the way that you're going to go, then go that way. And it felt like they were trying to half measure it. But if you know going in that you're going to have a, a smaller audience, then why not do that? You know, like with the, the late night shows these days, Back when they had like a much broader, wider audience, they kept the topics broad. You know, when Leno and Letterman had a more sizable viewership. Now with Kimmel and them and and uh, uh, Stephen Colbert, they have like three million. So basically, it's like just people that like them specifically. So they, they can kind of just say all kinds of right, but, things. So what do you think is driving the bus on that? So do you think that because NPR since 2016 or 2017 has deliberately refocused most of their coverage around the question of race in America? Like, do we think that that is driving the audience to be more insular, to be more of a certain kind? Or or is it the other way around, that they realize that there's no point in chasing an audience that would largely be listening to talk radio or Fox News instead anyway? I suspect that they're already losing viewers or listeners because there are way more options out there. I mean, on Sunday, instead of watching... The Oscars. I was watching on the Hulu this British show called Line of Duty, which is like a ridiculous, like kind of like Twenty Four, where it's like implausible, nice. but they're British. Uh, oh yes, and yes, because Twenty Four, on the other hand, <laughs> wildly plausible, <laughs> no, but they known have, known <laughs> for its intense commitment to reality. It's basically a documentary. Twenty Four. No, it's it's implausible, but at least it's like an American kind of implausibility. This they're. they're Anytime I hear a British accent, they're either funny or they're saying something smart. But when they do something stupid and they're not being funny, it's weird. Anyways, I think there are just a lot more options for people to to, to watch. So you, you, no matter what it is, I mean, all year, all these sporting events, low ratings. All of the you know Grammy and the Oscar now, 
the country music awards, I'm sure. I've never, you know, never kept up with that. But like any sort of thing that used to be a big event yeah. had fewer viewers because people have more options. They can watch Guy Fieri's rerun of going to some diner. They can diner watch the in- Magic Bullet infomercial so, on YouTube. <laughs> then why does the culture feel intensely uniform? If that's the case. How do you mean? We talk about how we've lost the monoculture in the last generation, right? right? Because we used to have... But even then, we had 150 cable networks, right? Like, it's not like... Yes, it is the case that the three major broadcast networks dominated uh, the news conversation up until the point that uh, CNN and Fox came along. But But it it seems to be the case to me now that instead of having 150 news channels, we only actually have two competing narratives, right? We, we have the woke and we have the unwashed. And that's pretty much the only, the only two demographics that exist. And so in a, in a weird way, this segmentation, what you're talk, talking about is a segmentation of, of the audience has actually resulted in simply two continents that aren't in communication with one another. Well, I think within those two camps, there are groups that don't watch the same things like yeah, i can reliably like at a i can like reliably talk about college football or the nfl with somebody but like i can oh what about that line of duty episode yesterday like the guy would, people would think what are you talking about i never heard of this show i've never seen it because everybody's just watching different things you know so unless it's i think sports is probably like one of the last places where you can kind of talk about similar things but and, and, you know, the Oscars used to be that. and They were never you know, really. But people, at least, even now, people, like, the next day say, oh, that movie I've never seen won. You know, at least they're somewhat aware of it. Like, no matter how low the ratings go, like, the Oscars are never going to be canceled. Like, ABC's not like, oh, we could just put some dumb family sitcom in its place and get more viewers, right? Because of all of the made-up metrics that they use for social media engagements and whatever. So they'll always keep it, even if it was drawing, like, three million. Because there is some benefit for people knowing, oh, the Oscars were yesterday and this garbage movie won and not Bad Boys for Life or, you know, whatever opinions people have about things. <laughs> what was the best movie of the last year, Abe? There weren't a lot of good movies. I did like, I, of, of all of the movies that I've seen, the least bad one was Promising Young Woman, which nothing good happens to the Promising Young Woman in the movie, but uh, not to spoil it, but it was at least like a normal, you know middle beginning and end there's far too many movies that don't make any story sense it's just different scenes cobbled together yeah. like mortal Kombat. yeah this is my favorite episode so far you say we that just, all the time well it keeps getting better like i said i thought it was a terrible oscars it, it was, was super boring what? okay can either you remember a very solid oscars no, but I can remember. Hugh Jackman was my I, I can remember plenty of perfectly entertaining Oscars. Yeah, Hugh Jackman hosting was good. Uh, the yeah, that was good. I remember Chris Rock being funny hosting the Oscars. Yeah. Like people who take risks. And yeah, is Ricky Gervais sort of obnoxious? Yes, of course he is. That's, That's sort of the, the brand. I think when but I it, think of the good Oscars, what I'm thinking of in my head are all the best acceptance speeches. Because that's it's either the, the acceptance part. speeches or the, like I said, the the opening ten yeah. minutes or whatever. But other people mentioned this. But was there a reason why they maybe twenty twenty just a lot of people died? But they ru- kind of rushed through that in memoriam, like 
maybe they just had like a hundred people. Yeah, the names were, the them. names were going incredibly quickly, and they didn't even get everybody. They missed the Fountains of Wayne guy who wrote the song for that thing you do, which was nominated for an Oscar. You remember that movie, that thing you do with uh, with Tom Hanks? Oh yeah. The, Back in like 1996, I think maybe the composer died. Who who died? Yeah, the guy who wrote the song for that thing you do, so, which the whole movie hangs on the ability of the audience to believe that that song could have been a number one smash radio hit back in the 60s, and it works, and it's it it, it's goddamn amazing. And, and they forgot him with the in memoriam. They probably don't do it this way, but I always thought that they let's do an in-memoriam without any consideration for time, right? And then we'll trim it for time. But they don't seem to do that, right? Like, they'll just, do, let's get everybody that we know who's qualified, right? Somewhat connected to the industry. And then let's say it's like, oh, that's like, I don't know, 11 minutes long. And they're right. like, no, we can't do that. Let's bring it down to a tight six. But I don't think they do that. They seem to just, whatever they remember, they say. <laughs> and in a three and a half hour program what's the hurry just right. what's a couple more minutes gonna do just to include because every year they always miss one at right. least one i liked the ending though uh so <laughs> i found that incredibly hilarious at the end of the show where so they've first of all you get disoriented because at like, out of order. Weird. at like 10 55 or something they announced best picture and i would i look up from my video game and i'm like hang on a minute we haven't done, even done the actor and the actress yet how can we possibly be doing best picture this doesn't make any sense and they give it to uh nomadland which is fine i would like to watch it at some point I haven't we yet can do that next weekend if you want I always pass over it on my surfing the Hulu thing. And it's like, ah, not tonight. Yeah. And it's been not tonight for the last, I don't know how long. Well, sure. It looks like a fucking bummer of a movie. It doesn't look like any fun. <laughs> Let's watch the stupid pottery show again instead. Or the nanny, if you're Bob Howard. <laughs> I didn't. Big you wanted fan. to watch the nanny. Don't start with me. Um, Is the nanny the, the Fra Fran Drescher one? Yeah, or Fran Drescher. Yeah, Bob wanted to watch that. That's what Bob oh, chose to watch. Not what happened. Anyway, so they do Best Picture, and then they come back and they do Actress, and uh, Frances McDormand wins again. She's great, so that's appropriate. And then they truck out uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Well, they should, should not invite do again. That. He's so great. He's a, an absurd character, obviously, but... Have a little more energy. You're no, in fuck that. He comes out, <laughs> and this is to close the show, because apparently the producers believed that this was a shoe-in for Chadwick Boseman. And they thought, look, we're going to have a bummer of a year that nobody's going to watch, but at least we'll have, as a send-off, this great emotional speech from Chadwick Boseman's wife because she did it at the Golden Globes when he won his Golden Globe for appearing in, uh, what is it, Ma Rainey's... Ma Rainey's Bottom Boots or whatever. I don't think that's what it is. Close. Most of those are words. Silver Linings Playbook, I think, is what it is. Yeah, so Chadwick was nominated for Best Actor for that performance, and he won the Golden Globe, and so it seems like Soderbergh and co. thought that he was going to win again here. I, however, knew that Anthony Hopkins was going to win, despite not having seen The Father. Just looking at the list of names, you have Anthony Hopkins, you have Chadwick Boseman, you have uh, that other black guy. <laughs> you... <laughs> You have that other black. <laughs> you have uh, the Asian fella, Stephen Yuan, I think, and then you have Gary Oldman. From The Oldman. Walking Dead. Yeah. yeah, from The Walking Dead. Right. So right, right off the bat, 
The Walking Dead kid is not going to win an Oscar right. the first right. time he's nominated. Just happy to be here. Yeah. Right. Gary Oldman is not going to win the Oscar. Right. And the two black fellas, despite Chadwick dying, they're yeah. going to eat up each other's votes. It's just the right. way that this works. Maybe if you had three in there, you could have figured out a way to make the math work for Chadwick. But and this was obviously, and by all accounts, the performance is like note perfect that he's actually fucking terrific in this movie. Have you seen that? That's I haven't no, seen that movie. I haven't seen the father yet, and I definitely want to watch the father because when Anthony Hopkins is on his game, he's, oh, he's just great. fucking spectacular. Yeah. And a lot of the time, he's just he's like he's Harrison Ford. Either he's like barely paying any attention to the movie that he's in, or he's giving like a really perfect one, like perfect performance the entire way through. Actually, a better comparison is probably Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, who can be, like, terrific and carry a whole movie, or he can be like, yeah, Jack, you do that thing, and then he shoots the thing <laughs> at the thing, and that's the fucking Jack, it, it, the Bruce Willis movie. Yeah. Nicholas Cage used to do that a lot. He used to do a lot of turds, and occasionally he'll turn up Right. Great. Another great one. Nicholas Cage can either give the performance of a lifetime, or you can yeah. ignore it. Whatever. If I could have bet, and I probably could have, but I didn't look into it, I would have put money on Anthony Hopkins to win it. Yeah, right, but also, the Golden Globes, I was treated like the Iowa caucus, very unreliable indicator of anything, right? So, like, if the direct, you know, the, the people running the Oscars were hanging their hat on the outcome from the Golden Globes, then they fucked up because right. that's and they not did. always a... So, they're, they're hoping that Chadwick is going to win the thing, and then they bring out the wife for the big emotional speech, you know, because whatever. Do you think she would, she would be there in person, or was it going to be one of these, like, uh, from afar... Things. I don't have any idea if she was there. I imagine she was there. Because they should have had the camera on her. <laughs> Meanwhile, old man Hopkins, what is he doing? Is he playing chess? He can't be bothered. He was probably sleeping. What are you talking about? <laughs> He's 83 years old, and he didn't think he was going to win. But rumor had it that uh, his people were campaigning hard for this uh, this win. I thought I'm uh, sure he would he show He's up. Not gonna, He's 83. He's not going to get another one of these. It's only and he so many... th right through it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Great. The best part, though, is that so they – this whole thing is planned for this big emotional denouement to, to the night. And Joaquin comes out and he's like, man, acting is kind of bullshit. And also awards are double bullshit. And anyway, Anthony Hopkins won and he's not here. So good night. And it's like, holy shit, that was amazing. Was a very abrupt and awkward it's end. It's just so... A Joaquin Phoenix, of all people, to act like acting is bullshit... When he thinks he's so good at it. He doesn't. That's what's interesting about Joaquin. Well, is then that he could not be in movies. How about that? Except he's great. That's the crazy thing, is that he's actually really good. He's a great actor, but he is pretty obnoxious in real life. Just from yeah. the limited... Like, when he tried to do that stupid thing with the... Uh, yeah, but that's not like, real life. Like, I enjoy... Sorry. So, I saw him on 60 Minutes, I think, a couple times. I think Anderson uh, Cooper went out to his place. That's his right, yeah. estate in the mountains in California, and... Like, yeah, he's a wacko, but he's an enjoyable enough wacko. Like, he's the sort of wacko that I want making good movies he's, every couple of years. You you can throw them in in the second hour, maybe. But he can't finish the show. You got to get, like, Tom right. Hanks or somebody. <laughs> like, like, what you, are you doing? You can see Soderbergh, like, trying to come up with a way to properly motivate Joaquin to go out there and deliver <laughs> this this final award with a little bit of gusto. And instead, it's just like... I mean, I should just—I won't play the clip, but I'll—I'll I'll put it in the show notes. 
It's basically what I said, which is that... Right. Oh, yeah, you, you're not far off. People talk about acting as though it's this thing where you inhabit another character's skin or whatever, but I've never really had that experience. And also, like, what's the difference between this performance versus that performance? We're all great. <laughs> anyway, I, Hopkins I, wins. I, I, th I think what he revealed is that the pre the people who do this, the, the run the show, they, they give these presenters prompts. Why don't you talk about your... First experience yeah. watching an right. animated movie, or what inspires you? Out of, you know, so like he's yeah. like, yeah, sure, no, no problem. And right, then which is a classic speech writing trick that he used and then took a dump right on, which is to get up and say, "So I'm supposed to be up here to talk about da," and then you say, "But da 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 da," and then it's like a joke. It's a meta joke, yeah. and instead he's just like, "But that's fucking bullshit." They should have uh, had the segment producer who thought that she got the go-ahead like give her that face that that reaction because like this fucking asshole is dumping right over my whole segment yeah. my whole idea is gone anyway and then they they come back and quest love sends us out they obviously should have had a host like that the bottom yeah. line for the oscars now that we've talked about the oscars for 45 minutes for some reason <laughs> is that it's only interesting because of the potential for catastrophe and disaster and that inherently that sort of high wire act that you're looking for cannot exist if there's nobody that the audience perceives as being in charge. That's what made the goofy. You could not look away when James Franco and Anne Hathaway were awkwardly <laughs> trying to play off of one another for three hours. Was he high? Of was course, he, of was course high. he was high. He's always high. And she was doing her like theater camp, giving it yeah. her 100% all. And he's like, get a load of this chick. <laughs> and that was wildly entertaining to the extent right. that these things can be entertaining. Um, right. Yeah. But there has to be a, a reason why people watch. And a lot of those reasons have been taken away. And if you're into acceptance speeches, that's always going to be there. So you don't have to go anywhere for that. But if you ever have a house at the top, you lose me. Yeah. And I thought that they did a good they let the people talk as long as they wanted to yeah, talk. It seemed nice. like yeah. there's no orchestra to play them off. Questlove didn't like turn up the beats when somebody was going that on was for too really long. Really nice. And it led to a couple of great moments, including the the Korean lady and the and what's his name? I actually thought and this is we can segue into a different sort of conversation here. I thought Tyler Perry's speech was terrific. And oh, I fast forward through that. What did he say? Um he bragged about how generous he is. Oh, but like he is. So it wasn't it. just that he was talking about. I mean, any time that you appear to be trying to bridge any sort of divide between different parts of the culture, it can come off as like treacly and corny and dumb because it just seems like such well, an impossible task. It. That's what he was going for. But yeah. yeah. And I think also it's worth pointing out Tyler Perry doesn't, despite his many dollars, like he doesn't. He's not of Hollywood, right? He's got he's no. in he's right. in, in Atlanta there with you. His whole stu right. studio and movie making empire is down there in Georgia. And I've never liked thirty five seconds of a Tyler Perry movie. Like it's just it's. I think it's, he made like one decent movie once, but I, I don't recall. Diary of a Mad Black Woman it's supposed to be the good one. Right, and yeah, I've never seen that one. So there you go. But then again, I didn't see most of the others. I just went off. Well, for good reason, good. right? You haven't seen... Babe sees a lot of movies. Oh, yeah. Good is no standard of mine. I see a lot of movies. Right. Whatever. The point is, 
despite the fact that, which, by the way, woke Twitter jumped all over him for even gesturing in the direction of maybe we shouldn't automatically hate all cops, which is sort of what he said, that he's speaking for a far broader swath of the American public than most people realize, I think, especially people like me who consume great deals of the culture through the lens of media Twitter and through elite institutions such as the New York Times and the Washington Post and the stupid Sunday morning talk shows. In the same way that Larry the Cable Guy, for example, represents a great broader swath of American thinking, I think that somebody like Tyler Perry represents a great broader swath of African-American thinking to the extent that these sorts of things... like. I'm largely unwilling to qualify such things as being the thinking of large swaths of the American public, right? Right. But, but there's most, an audience for this message. You know, there's and, a and huge audience for that message. And I think it's borne out a little bit in that terrible Oakland Raiders tweet after the Chauvin verdict came out, where the Oakland oh, when, Raiders, uh, Oakland Raiders Twitter tweeted out an image of <laughs> silver type on a black background. It just said, I can breathe. So the meme, the the thing that went with a lot of the social justice protests, the Black Lives Matter protests over the last couple of years is the I can't breathe thing, right? This goes back to Eric Garner getting choked out for selling Lucy cigarettes on the right. st streets in New York City. And I think LeBron probably wore a hoodie that said I can't breathe or something like that at There's some point. There's a lot of I can't breathe stuff. There's a lot of I can't breathe stuff, including Floyd being pinned to the pavement, being unable to – talking about how he can't breathe. And then the Oakland Raiders Twitter does like a, a supremely – by my understanding of it, by all of Twitter's understanding of it, insensitive and sort of gross and crass tweet that says I can breathe. But not – only that. Didn't they also have the date? Like, the, as of today, I can breathe right. again. So, now, I think the family, I don't know, just in their defense, backed the Oakland Raiders. Because right. I guess so this is, the point yeah. that I, this is the point I'm trying to make, is that Floyd's brother, I think his name is Phil, Philanoise, or I don't, I do not know how to pronounce his name. Oh my God, his name better be Philanoise. It is. It's something like Philanoise Floyd. Yeah, it's like, it's like Phineas Philanoise. Not felonious. It's, it's, not, it's not felonious. I will note that Abe said that. <laughs> anyway, Phil Floyd says, I really appreciate the sentiments expressed by the Davis family. Because it's a, it's Al Davis's kid, his idiot moron with kid a with a bad toupee. Yeah. And like suggesting that he really appreciates the gesture and, and that he's actually spoken with the owner of the Oakland right. Raiders, who's expressed a great deal of emotional sentiment to him and that he felt like the whole organization and therefore the NFL had his back and that that was very meaningful to him and he felt to the community. And that was that was two days or a couple of days after all of Twitter came down on the Oakland Raiders and and Davis for having put out that tweet. And like that speaks to me directly to the disconnect between elite media institutions and what most people are thinking, right? Which is that Davis, for all of his goofy billionaire faults, right? He's a he's a very strange human being. You can tell just by looking at him. I mean, he was born into this, you know? Right. Not his fault. Was speaking in an important way for a certain sentiment. And it's one that you saw repeated over and over again anytime you were interviewing men or yeah. women on the streets following the verdict, right? And so... 
if you want to look at it from the perspective of this is a corporation trying to cash in on a moment in order to look better in a social justice-y kind of way, yeah, you can look at it that way. I also think that this is just the owner of the Oakland Raiders saying something that is both cringy and awkward and terrible, but that he that he meant and that actually right. meant something to yeah, the family. Yeah, it's fam- a sincerity that issue. That it meant something to the family. Uh, in it was an clumsily way. constructed, but and, and, and they never did take it down. It's clumsily yeah. constructed, and it's it's impossible to get right in right. from the perspective from we, I, we are the Oakland fucking Raiders and right, now we say true. I can breathe right like from the perspective of the person or the organization saying it you can't get that right with those three words it's that, just impossible right. uh, at least from a from the perspective of a of a media critic type of mind right but but from the perspective of the the dead guy's brother apparently it was somewhat meaningful and who knows maybe he's just trying to not burn any bridges that he might see as important in the future maybe i'm being naive and that there's much something much more cynical going on here he probably just didn't see any harm in it and he's like no this is fine i mean just uh you know extending their right but it's just amusing to me that you can have on the one hand somebody who would see I can breathe from the Oakland Raiders Twitter account as being in some way a furtherance of white supremacy, which is a take that I saw over and over again. Oh, is that? See, I'm telling you, Bob, this this Twitter thing. I, I don't think yeah, anybody's having tough. fun on this uh, platform. No. Uh, and also, and same thing with the Oscars or whatever, any event. I'm sure, like when uh, the UFC people did that, uh, ir- you know, admittedly irresponsible full crowd on Saturday. I'm sure people were complaining about that. I think like. People are kind of fixated to criticize when they're online, especially on Twitter. So, like, they didn't even look at the possibility that maybe this Oakland Raiders Twitter account, there weren't some, like, cynical, shitty people. Maybe they were sincere. They just didn't know how to go about being sincere. And so they just jumped on them. And then I'm sure there's no apologies, right, after the family said, no, that they're cool. Nobody circled back to say, my bad. Right, no, Mark Davis took Mark Davis to his credit immediately. I mean, whatever. I give fucking Mark Davis credit, but he took <laughs> he took responsibility for again. the for no the tweet here. that went out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and you're 100 percent right that that these platforms are designed to elicit a certain kind of reaction, and they reward a certain kind of reaction, including a tweet that I saw today following Anthony Hopkins' win last night that suggested that this was just in furtherance of white supremacy, that they build oh, you up that's right. only so far to knock you down. I'll put it in the show notes, but the quote is <laughs> from Brooke Obi, who is a writer of some sort with a blue check mark. I see people on the timeline hurt and angry because the Oscars did what the Oscars do, uphold white, cishet, abled supremacy. They weren't created for us, loves. They will always reward themselves and the stories that solidify the master narrative over us. They are just doing what they do. The correct reaction to that is roll your eyes and keep scrolling. Well, I decided to screenshot it and then share it with you guys instead. (laughs) I know what you did. That was the wrong reaction. So so in her estimation, Anthony Hopkins winning... Uh, is proof positive that what this is a white supremacist hetero? Yes, whatever. Whatever. You're giving it too much credit. You're speaking words about it. You shouldn't Except be that doing this, it. So, but it, if it is one of the dominant strains of narrative that's being pushed, then I think it matters, and it has to be treated seriously. And by the way, 
not that I get to determine who should or shouldn't be satisfied by what level of representation is where it is, but watching the Oscars last night, I was constantly floored by the amount of diversity among both nominees and certainly among presenters. And right. like this was a an Oscars where the best director was a Korean lady, right? The best picture goes to the Korean ladies movie. Uh, Frances McDormand wins her third Oscar or whatever, sure. But the supporting actor went to uh, Kalula Wang, right? Yeah. And I don't know if that's I, how you I think say you're his saying name. his name wrong, by the way. But What is it? It's I Daniel... Know, I don't know how to say it right, so that's why I didn't correct Yeah, it. fuck you. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's Daniel, the guy from Get Out, right? He was also in the Black Mirror, that one episode. Sure. Like, there was just an endless parade of diversity, and both among the people who ended up winning and among the crowd, the larger crowd that was nominated. And I... Like, I don't have the brains to be able to watch that three-and-a-half-hour-long production and come away thinking, that's the Oscars upholding white supremacy. That right. is patently insane to me. There there was uh, an article from the New York Times, uh, like some opinion piece a few months ago, and basically they were talking about how, like, the way they framed it was uh, basically there's like an attention economy where – online all the matters that you capture other people's attention and you know negative stuff sells just like in the local news if it bleeds it leads and so online this person i don't know this blue checkmark person they're kind of working into that word they're getting attention by now they happen to be negative and it's like a well-worn kind of way of thinking where Anything that doesn't go my way is proof positive of something sinister instead of just like what you described earlier. Probably the two black uh, co-stars in the movie canceled some of, you know, they diluted from one another's votes. And old man Hopkins, who's too busy to show up, uh, wins, right? That That's probably a more likely explanation than the other. But this will get attention. Uh, and so well, but that's this, what, so what, what's particularly funny to me is that. What she is describing would require a sort of systemic conspiracy on a level that is hilarious in the face of the fact that they tried to make it so that the night ended with Chadwick Boseman's wife right. giving a speech. Like so, right. so they tried to get out the puppet, the marionette strings and arrange it in such a way that we have this big, satisfying, emotional moment at the end. And instead, Joaquin Phoenix's dumbass gets up there and says— Acting is bullshit. Awards are bullshit. Anthony Hopkins won and he's not here. Good night. Right. 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 That's they, not upholding they, white supremacy. That's just a, a, a failure of it's a it's maladministration. It's just right. it's just bad luck. It's just they, something that happens. Right. I mean, you're right. They, they reoriented the sequence of events. Usually best picture is the the big out. And so they went with this thinking like most other people that they were going to give like a uh, the guy's dead, and he did a good job in the movie, and let's just send him off one final time. Uh, I suspect that she, this person probably didn't watch the Father, or like I don't. I, I think she just sees an opportunity to to say these things and get attention. Right. That's and that's yes. And that's you're exactly what she's getting. One hundred percent right. And it's very bad, and these websites shouldn't exist, which is the point that I keep making. Because and it's also like a hopeless kind of like, this is how it is, this is how it always will be. Like, it, like there was no, like, maybe there's an avenue to change, even though what she's saying, there's no basis in fact. But at least even if she mis misread the situation, 
there isn't like some sort of like, well, and this is what we can do. We can blah, blah, blah. Right. But there's nothing. It's just like bad stuff. Wallow in pity. Well, it's really easy to continue. You can be a victim and not ever have to escape it. If you say there's no escaping it, like that can be a thing. Right. I I wonder. Yeah. I don't know. This person should just have a friend and complain to their friend instead of talk to Twitter about it. Yeah, but the friend only gives you one reaction, and the friend says, yeah, I guess. Talk to you later. That's the right reaction. (laughs) Right, except that Twitter will tell you over and over again how amazing you are. And then if somebody pipes up and says, actually, you seem like a moron, then a thousand people will come to your defense and call that person a racist asshole. So so you just – it's just an ego fulfillment machine, and it's never going to go away. Right. Twitter is like – it's like the land of a thousand Skip Baylesses. You know, like Skip on ESPN would just say the dumbest thing, but then it would get some traction. Right, or and it's not just Twitter. It's all – right, right. That's a terrific point is where Skip says something on first take and it generates a day and a half worth of content on the rest of the ESPN content farm. Right. right? They don't even right. have to have a story. If Skip says something absurd I, – I wrote a mini essay about – a Tim Tebow episode uh, about that years ago on Facebook. I'd have to dig it up for it to be relevant or even worth mentioning, which I won't do. And yet here I am continuing to talk about it. <laughs> the point is, is that it's never going to go away. And it's not just Twitter. It's the way the entire media attention economy functions. There's a piece in the New York Times this Sunday in the style section, Taylor Lorenz writing about Jake Paul, who's a YouTube personality. There's apparently two of them. I always mix them up. There's Logan Paul, who I think is the older brother, and then Jake, who is, is he the younger. Boxer? Young Jake is the younger and the more successful, I think. Yeah, he's the Which boxer. Which of them is PewDiePie? Neither of them is Not PewDiePie. A, is he a third I brother? Think one of them is. No, PewDiePie is the Swedish Nazi who does video game streams. <laughs> I think we're Nazi. talking about the same person. <laughs> Man, PewDiePie. <laughs> Is he actually Swedish? I think he's Swedish, yeah. Anyway, Jake Paul gets a write-up in the New York Times because he's being accused of sexual misconduct and other various misconducts, which shocking revelations, Taylor. Thank you. But she frames the entire story. I'm not going to read it, but she frames the entire story in the opening paragraph as though she's surprised by the fact that he does controversial things and yet continues to get more popular, that he does stupid, mean, cruel things that people react negatively to, and yet his views keep climbing, and yet his <laughs> the corporate sponsors won't go away. Like, that's the if the entire system is based around that, then why would the views start drying up? Are you out of your goddamn mind? No, you're the technology and social media reporter for the New York fucking Times, but you play dumb as though you don't know that all of the algorithms and the entire media economy is built around the idea that the thing that sucks the most, that pisses off the most amount of people, is what's going to rise to the top. Maybe she's just like signaling to the polite read- readers that she imagines are reading this, you know, like, oh, these schemes are actually <laughs> effective of getting people to follow him and blah, blah, blah. Like she's kind of speaking in a way where this is how you would tell a story to someone at like some dinner party. As though, so the, entire, as though the entire last 20 years of the Internet hasn't happened, as though the entire trumpeting just didn't happen, right? As though we can't tell that people who behave outrageously get more attention and more money. Anyway, 
I want to talk about the Chauvin verdict and then the reaction to it. So oh, that happened last was it Monday night? No, it Tuesday night. Tuesday, Tuesday, they said they decided that then you know Tuesday like evening, two five o'clock. Tuesday, the jury after a few hours of deliberation, like ten or eleven hours of deliberation. You know, it was some bullshit. When they announced that there was a verdict, but then an hour went by before they told us what it was. Yeah, well, you got to get everybody back into the courtroom. Some and all of us of that. have jobs that we have to like talk to people and be normal during. Yeah, but as soon as as soon as you found out that a they hadn't asked any questions of the judge, and b this deliberation so called had only gone on for half a day, basically. I don't it was pretty clear that he was going to get convicted on a minimum of one count, and my guess was that as soon as it, as soon as we found out that that we were getting a verdict already, my guess was that he was going to be convicted on all three, and that turned out to be true. Right. Because even if it, because my thinking was that it was going to be like at least one, but if it was one or two out of the three, it would have taken a little longer to like, because it would have been like one or two holdovers on like the on the most serious charge, and they would have talked it through some more. Right, there would have been, been some haggling. More. Yeah, right. And and they're supposed to come to consensus on all three verdicts. It's unanimous. Like the ju- right, the judge would not be satisfied with you came to unanimous decision on the first count, but not on the third count or something like that. Like that right. would not obviously be acceptable, and they wouldn't have been able to turn that around in ten hours. Anyway, it doesn't matter what I thought in the hour and a half between the announcement of the verdict and then the reading of the verdict. I was uh, listening to it. I mean, if you want to talk about personal emotional reactions, I was relieved hearing uh, the verdict be read, not because of the alleged and I think largely imagined threat that the mob allegedly presented to the country as a whole, which is what right-wing media has been talking about for the last week. My relief didn't have anything to do with what I thought people might do as a it reaction to the verdict. You were worried that the NBA would not continue on. No, my relief was that it seemed like we watched an agent of the state kneel on a dude's neck until he died and it would be very bad <laughs> if that was not held to account in a meaningful way. That was my right. that was the relief that I felt. I don't know. What about right. you? It was a pretty straightforward case, but like I think I, I shared with you, Bob, the um, that the the clip from Always Sunny, where basically they're speaking in rapey kind of context of like, oh, the implication, you know, and they're like, oh, no, no, but they're not in any danger, you know, and it was kind of like that with, uh, it's like, you know, the jurors should know that, uh, you know, the, the implication of us being out here in case they go the other way, not that they're in any danger. I, I didn't think there was any chance that. It would have been like what it was however long ago, 30 years ago with the Rodney King thing where there's clear video evidence of wrongdoing. And then people are just like, ah, I'm sure they meant well, you know, because if you ask yourself, like, what law enforcement objectives were being met by kneeling on the guy for that long, right? I mean, the person was already in restraint. So you're basically just doing it just to tell the, you know, people that are just standing there telling you to get off of them. To say, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do because I'm the cop, you know? So, like, a little bit of pride and just being an asshole caused the guy to die. Like, all of this came out to basically just saying, I'm going to do whatever I want because I have the authority. And the person died because of it. I think the, the district attorney or whomever, somebody was on 60 Minutes on Sunday night. And basically, they were saying that they couldn't make the case that there was, like, a 
racially based crime. Basically, didn't come it was up. The entire the entire trial, race didn't come right. up. Because basically he was saying there was no evidence to – basically he's like you need to have evidence to show he said this it, leading up to it, some sort of racial insult, something. to It can't just be like he's white and he's black and obviously there's no other scenario, right? But then if that's not the reason why he did it, what was? It's basically just to spite the people dick. that were there, you know? Yeah. And he had like no concern about the person's life. So like the outcome – I didn't think it would be three for three. I was surprised by that. But I thought he I would, would be so. So not to. I'm, I'm not trying to pretend to be Nostradamus here. I didn't think going in that there was going to be a three for three conviction. I just thought that as soon as we realized that half a day later we were getting a conviction and that the jury had, we hadn't heard a peep from the jury in that time, that we were going to then get three for three. I think somebody had like a illustration where the only there were other very quick turnarounds with the verdict and they came back. As acquittals, like mm-hmm. OJ was an acquittal, the the Rodney King people were acquittals, and there were quick turnaround. The only time, the only other time where it came back quick and it was a conviction, was that Boston Marathon bomber guy. Mm-hmm. That makes where sense. Where like, this makes sense in this case. The and the reason that I think that my feeling was that because it was so quick turnaround that we were going to get guilty verdicts is because the video is just completely inescapable as a as yeah. a document of what happened and it right. it doesn't n- none of the rest of it matters and and I've listened this week to various right-wing talking heads talk about the tyranny of the mob and how what we need to be concerned with here is that the defense raised reasonable doubts about how and why George Floyd died and that a jury that was untainted by this sort of reverse racial animus or whatever that was untainted by a year and a summer of Black Lives Matter protests that was untainted by apparently Maxine Waters admonitions that you need to get out and and get rowdy in the streets if this thing goes the wrong way that was untainted by Joe Biden saying after the jury had gone into sequester that he thinks that the right outcome is that Chauvin should be convicted completely lost the thread because i put too many parentheticals in that yeah was, no, that's how you write that is exactly how i write <laughs> but I, unfortunately, that's how i feel I waiting what you write i can't look what back what the fuck are we talking i about? can't look back to the start of the sentence because i wasn't writing it down as i went it's a problem <laughs> basically the the, the right wing pundits focusing heavily on you're like saying the right. jury was they are saying the jury was bullied right basically right. Which and is there was so enough, stupid. So there's there's just been a lot of talk, not just among your typical awful right-wingers like Tucker Carlson and to a lesser extent, but still to an extent, Ben Shapiro, about the tyranny of the mob, but also among like the the more libertarian – and this is where it surprises me the, – the more libertarian left talking about the tyranny of the mob here – and I'm I'm talking specifically about a podcast from Brett Weinstein, who nobody should listen to. I mean, if like you, if you can tolerate it, fine. If it's for you, fine. It's he thinks I he's listen- very smart, right? I mean, he probably is a little smart, but he thinks he's very smart. Yeah, yeah. And in certain ways, I think that he is very smart. And in other ways, I think he's like, are we sure this guy's not on the spectrum somewhere? <laughs> because that sometimes doesn't mean that he's not also not a smart. disqualifier. Right, right, sure. Anyway, he was on about how this is all about the tyranny of the mob in, in a very Tucker Carlson-y kind of way, and that we 
in a free society, in a just society, we need to be more scared of the mob getting what it wants than we need to be scared of basically any other outcome. And I turned that over in my head a bunch of times and I cannot come over, and it made me go back and watch the video again and to read about the case all over again. And Both I can't videos or the cop camera video or the regular video. The video where Chauvin has his the knee. The, the main or clip? The, with the cell phone video or the body cam video? Both. All. Okay. The New York Times did a good compilation of everything where you can see what's happening at what point during the... You can see it on split screen. What's happening here as the girl is filming versus what Chauvin can see from his body camera. You watch all of that? Yeah, I felt like... Because I watched it last year because I wanted to understand. And then I haven't watched it since. And I went back and I watched it again this week. Because I wanted to see if I was misremembering something. I wanted to right. see if somehow all of the narrative around the George Floyd killing had somehow corrupted my memory of the horror of that video. And it hadn't. This right. is a guy, his knee's not on his shoulder. His knee is on his neck. He's digging his knee into the man's neck as he's pleading for his life. And it's absolutely horrific and this isn't just a guy this is an agent an armed agent of the state with his knee on the neck of a restrained citizen right right it is as straightforward a depiction of the tyranny of the state as one can imagine both literally and metaphorically right right and to suggest that the thing that would scare a left-leaning libertarian in that video is what the public is going to think once they've seen it is absurd right. right the thing that should scare you is the agent of the state snuffing out the life of an unarmed and already restrained citizen right and if to the you don't if you do not have like and then i start seeing shit that uh, various cousins of mine might post on the internet talking about how that if the races were reversed, we wouldn't even know about it. Well, Cousins then, that blocked him, but not me. Then so it's fucking good, right? It is, it, is it is a demonstrably good and true moral fact that we find out about this act by the state against an individual human being, right? Wait, and if, how, how does the argument go? I'm sorry. It doesn't matter. I don't want to talk about it. I want to give but it <laughs> the, the breath of life. The point is that... No matter what you think about the particular details of whether or not he should have been convicted for third degree versus some sort of first degree manslaughter, like whatever, all of that needs to be shunted aside, not because those things don't matter, but because those things don't matter in this specific instance, which is that this person needed to pay a price criminally for our justice system to have any legitimacy whatsoever. And not just in the eyes of the Black Lives Matter folks, but in the eyes of anyone who pays any attention whatsoever. What, what I don't get is why there is always a need to have a contrarian opinion, no matter how obviously wrong or obviously right something is. Like in this example, maybe somebody on the right can make a more narrow argument and it'd be more kind of a abstract point not like using this as an example but like to say that you don't want to get in positions where the outcome of one thing undoes the whole criminal justice system and even then i would think you would be wrong but like 
Did they not watch the video or any part no, of the, the video? No, the answer like, is because they want to upset people on purpose. No, and it's because all what they they're want. doing is that they they they're just rejecting the larger argument. And yeah, in, like so, that, in, but to be mean, but not like that's but, all it is. But not only that, it's basically too many people that they don't like have a position mm-hmm. on one side, so they therefore necessarily have to be on the other side because. Yes. Setting like Bob, what you're saying, setting all of the things aside. If you just watch the clip, right? How do you make the argument that there, what threatening, like what was going on there that you needed to have your knee on that person's neck for that long and minutes after his pulse is gone, right? What is what objective are you trying to meet? You know, so there isn't really basically they're arguing against people that they don't like. His hands are cuffed behind his back. He's face down on the asphalt. There's no need to put your knee on him at all, right? right. Never mind for nine and a half minutes. Right. And and one of the expert witnesses that they brought up to, you know, sow some doubt, you know, for the defense was saying that maybe he inhaled some of the exhaust or whatever and turned yeah. out that the vehicle wasn't necessarily even on and I think well, it was some sort of electric kind of... because he was being held of- in the exhaust face right yeah but but basically <laughs> p- people are willing to just make anything up just for some desired outcome and i'm sure there's more more than uh an insignificant number of people who wanted it, an acquittal just to see things burn down just just to see like how people are reacting yeah, oh, that, is, right. that is not limited to the people on the right or the people on the yeah, left by the true. way there were people who were disappointed in this verdict on both sides of that so-called divide because what they wanted was to see a great deal of of minneapolis and who knows where else in this country uh erupt into violence to what end just to see things yeah because they firmly believe that the system is corrupt and cannot be reformed and the on the other hand on the right side they firmly believe that the left is nothing but a bunch of uh mongrel pack of dogs just waiting to be any excuse to be set loose and to live in anarchy. Right. I don't like to come down and say things like, if you see this any other way, then you're not a good or moral person. <laughs> right? Like that's never a that's never a good position to have as somebody who wants to try to figure things out rationally and recognizing that there are a million different points of view about any any one subject. But if you can't see this for what it was, which was an unnecessary killing of an unarmed citizen regardless of what he had in his system regardless of what sort of person he was or or that you imagine him to have been then i think that you're you're just seeing the world wrongly and i don't know if that's a reflection of of your media consumption or your personal biases whatever those may be but i just think that you're getting a bad picture of reality and that you should adjust the things that you consume to to better understand the world Right. And and I agree. What I would add to that is if you think that there was enough doubt to so that you should acquit in this case and you are setting an impossibly high standard, most people in jail are in jail for much less with yeah, much less way evidence. Way less obvious, so you, way less evidence. If, if you want to apply that standard, we can clear the, the prisons by at least half, you know. Like the standard that you're setting, there must be something more you're adding to it. And maybe it is, you know, your, your, your news consumption, or maybe it's the fact that you want to give wide latitude to cops. So wide that you can overlook the occasional killing, the occasional murder, right? And most people are not that, like they don't want to see that. So 
if you're making a calculation that in this case, oh, if I was in the jury, I would have acquitted, then like, what more evidence did you need? Like, what does a cop have to do for you to convict? Right. And I don't think you can overstate the extent to which people a year ago were rightly and automatically horrified by the thing that they watched. And then after a year of not watching it every night, of not dwelling on the physical horror of the thing, and instead listening to Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson or Mark Levin or whoever on, on the right-wing side of things just react negatively to everyone who was horrified and continued to be horrified by the video. Like you cannot overstate the extent to which that will drive a person to the wrong position. And right. I and it it's it's what you said a few minutes ago that if the people that I naturally align myself against are for a thing, then there's only so much that I can take before I align myself against it. Right. And in in this case it was the conviction of Derek Chauvin. And that's it, a it's a weird dynamic where right. the 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 more drawn out it goes, the longer it goes, where your perceived ideological enemies are on one side of a thing, the more entrenched you will be on the other side of that thing, no matter what your initial position was, just because right. you hate those fucking people. And that's why I always say people should always be forced to like laminate their positions. Yeah. Have your positions and laminate it to where you can't change it. And we can look at it. You can change it. But you need good reason. Yeah. Very quickly on uh, Micaiah Bryant. Oh, this is the Ohio incident, right? Yeah. So within hours or minutes or something like that, the timeline was very quick. After the Floyd verdict was announced, this thing happened in Ohio. The police were called. Somebody called 911. Maybe this has been updated, but I haven't read up on it. In the last couple of days, I'm yeah, still same. not clear on yeah. who made the 911 call, but somebody calls 911 and says, uh, send the police, please. There's a fight going on. They're here to stab my grandma or something like that. And there's It's a confusing 911 call. There's a plea for help. The police pull up. I think it's just under nine seconds from the police officer getting out of his car to him firing four rounds into Micaiah Bryant. But the way the story unfolds is that the, the story comes out and then the footage is released, right? So there's a period of time, that great information vacuum period, right, Bob, uh, where it, all of the elements are, oh, I've seen this before. Police officer involved in a shooting of a black shoots, person Shoots this a 16-year-old black girl in her yeah. own driveway is the way right. that it was framed right away. Right. So even after, on the heels of this, Good news of where the system actually worked and a cop is held to account and maybe things are turning, not so fast. Same problem. So basically the story, at least that evening, the rest of that, I don't know what, I think the video of the, I saw it the day after. So I don't know, did, did it come out that night? It was within a few hours. I think, it okay. was, I think it was before the end of that night that they had released that video. Okay, I, I must have gone to sleep because I caught it the first thing in the, the following day. And it tells a different, like a more like volatile picture. First of all, I don't know if it was her aunt or her whomever, someone like a close relative uh, was giving her thoughts on what happened. And a lot of that information turned out to be not exactly true. Right. So the, right. Because the first story that goes viral about this after the, the sort of immediate news 
dispatches, the the headline styles is right. uh, is from the Daily Beast, and the Daily Beast spoke to the girl's aunt, and and for what it's worth, this is a girl who was in. Uh, the custody of the state. She was staying at a foster home. So right. who knows what the, the family situation is there and how reliable a, a character witness or otherwise witness the aunt is, both in terms of her own narrative and then her narrative of this girl's life, right? Because she's right. been taken away from her family at 15 years old for who knows what reason. And it's it's right that we don't know what reason because she's a fucking 15-year-old right. child. But anyway... Uh, she paints this picture of the cops showing up and gunning the girl down in her own driveway as she was completely defenseless. And, and she also was, that uh, she, her niece is the one that called the cops or, or something. Right, right, that right. she's the one who was calling the police to try to get them up there to protect grandma or whatever. And that this is an honor roll student, which I don't think we've seen verified appropriately enough. Anyway, the point is this wildly unreliable person comes forward and becomes the main driver of the narrative in the first 12 hours that the story takes hold. And then it turns out the next, as soon as we start seeing the video of the encounter, it's not just more complicated. It's sort of the opposite of the way right. that it was initially presented. Because she wasn't, someone else was not attacking her. She was in the process of assaulting someone with a knife. Right. Right. So she was a, in the middle of a fight with at least two people. Right. So as right. the cop pulls up, just to break the video down very quickly here, the cop pulls up, he stands up, gets out of his car, and a girl, uh, another woman comes tumbling down, like shoved or by, by the way that I see it happening, for all he knows, she's just been injured in a significant way. Right. Because right. she's falling at his feet. And then this girl is turning around on another girl who's standing against a car and raising her arm. And she has a large knife in her arm. Right. And is like prepared to stab. And yeah, then the gunshots go off. And again... I don't want to just react to other people's reactions, and I don't—obviously, we don't know all of what went on there. But when you say things like, oh, just let the kids have knife fights, with right. the way that many prominent people were, were saying on Twitter, that this was, a, that this was an unrighteous, a non-righteous shooting by the police, that he should have found a way to de-escalate in the moment that this girl who's standing— a foot from the person who she's trying to stab while the cop is still three or four paces away, right? Like the bullet travels faster than literally anything else the cop can do in that moment to prevent the stabbing from happening, right? right? It doesn't make the situation any less tragic. It right. doesn't make it any less that's there's no other word it's tragic that this girl was found herself in this situation holding this knife if for whatever reason when we we might not ever know the full story as to what was going on there because there are too many interested parties giving competing narratives right and, and the problem is a lot of the people who uh made their positions known in the intervening hours right Be after the story came about and then uh, before the video camera was released. And by the way, if there's ever like a textbook example as to why everybody, like cops, should be for cameras, it's this because this will clear the cop, right? Uh, I don't see any jury ever, it's not even going to get that far, but if it did, they would be acquitted because it's not like the two girls that were there were are equal like one person you know they're advers in an adversarial position somebody's about to be stabbed and someone's about to do the stabbing right so in defense of one the cop shot the other to prevent harm from happening now like you said a lot of people said oh just let it play out and see what happens like if that was you would you want 
it to play out like you want to be stabbed a couple of times right on the chance that the stab doesn't hit any vital organs right, right. On, the, on, yeah, you, on, yeah. on the chance that she doesn't get her in the fucking neck with her right. six or eight inch blade or whatever how long that that kitchen knife was if if it were just fists yeah let it play out i mean it's gonna hurt but you're not gonna die as a knife changes the calculus greatly I'm a against getting stabbed person. Right. Full disclosure. You're, you're, oh, are you, you've Abe? Got, you've got a big, <laughs> big shanking position. Right? Hot take from Abe. <laughs> so yeah. So again, like you said, it's a very tragic situation. But laminate that. <laughs> laminate that. <laughs> I think he did. He did it on the Canadian playgrounds. He had that one laminated, <laughs> as I recall. Somebody did brandish a knife uh, once, uh, and he thieved us of some stuff. But far too many people. Uh, and some that I know would not move from their initial position even after the new evidence. It's like, yeah, but still, why? What are you doing shooting? It's like, did you watch the clip? It's well, but if if what we're doing, as we've talked about in the last fucking fifteen years or however long we've been talking about this, what if we didn't arm police? I mean, yeah, if if, if you what, eliminated what that. Right. Then that chick would have gotten stabbed and maybe right. killed like, in the neck. You're, you have taken a position relatively recently that that's... That's an old position of mine that I've articulated again recently, which is that the police should not be walking around as armed carriers and, and so doing, like, doing red light position, stops or, or rolling stop signs with a fucking gun on their hip. My, it would be another story if somebody calls 911 and says... There's a bitch here trying to cut grandma with a knife. Then yeah, then you probably do send somebody who's equipped to deal with a violent interaction. On on the fictional show Line of Duty that I'm watching in Britain, apparently uh, they have dedicated teams that are armed, and they're called in for violent situations where armed weapons are needed. But most other cops are just walking about without it, so they need to be like weapons trained. For that to happen, that will never happen. Like I would say, guns are like a religion in America, so you're not going right. to ever extricate the guns from the Americans. So it'd be nice if that were true. But yeah, if there were no guns, then the girl in the pink would have had to be stabbed a couple of times until she got, the other person got tackled on the ground. Right. Uh, and then who knows what happens, you know. Not to victim, but by the way, there was not a lot of defense. Like, why didn't she—it like, she didn't seem like she was doing anything to prevent the— the knife I mean, how often are you presented with the, the reality so of somebody brandishing a knife in front I of your don't face? Know. Like, no, some sort of a hand I, thing. Abe, you know, all the like on Dateline or other shows that I watch where people have already died, right? So whatever defensive move they had yeah, did defensive not work. Wounds. But at least there was some sort of like. There no, was no time for the, the reaction was so quick. She turned from that one chick who'd fallen over and wheeled on the other chick. So like that's. I mean, you don't want to say you're impressed with the cop's ability to suddenly draw and shoot in such short order. He read that situation uh, pretty quickly, yeah. I wouldn't have even seen the knife. I don't want to harp on this, but one of the reasons that you don't have the terrible take that ran wild on Twitter and throughout the rest of the media about how uh, you should have just let the teens fight it out with their knives and then uh, patched them up and sent them on their way. The reason that you don't have that take is because it gives the worst imaginable actors on the other side of the media ecosystem the chance to be uh, not just righteously aggrieved, but but just actually right. 
right? Right. You you don't ever want to hand Ben Shapiro and Tucker Carlson this kind of win by taking such an absurd position that the police should have just watched this girl stab this other girl right. and then tried to tackle her, yeah. right? In the in in a moment of pure chaos, where that one girl falls on the ground and then appears to get kicked by that dude who's standing there. Yeah, what's his? Yeah, that's true. Like, what the fuck was that? Like, so he he not only is he watching one girl brandish a knife and attempt to stab another, he's watching out of the other corner of his eye this other girl who just fall on the ground, attempt about to get kicked in the gut or something. He has right. no idea what the fucking situation is, except that he needs to eliminate a threat, which is that some girl might about to be killed. And like right. if your position is going to be such that you want the state to have such little power as to not even interfere when someone, an innocent or seemingly innocent person's life is in danger, then all of the worst fears of the other side about you are going to just be proven right over and over again during prime time. Not that you need to build your entire ideology around making sure that Tucker Carlson or Ben Shapiro cannot be righteously correct about you. That's not a bad way to go about things. (laughs) But you need to avoid taking such absurd positions right. that, that it allows Tucker to, to get off a good one. That's why I think it's important. Like if you if you want to have an opinion immediately, just like demand for the body cam to be released and things like that. Or just say it's concerning, but don't jump to a conclusion that you can't then, – then you're going to defend no matter what evidence comes about. Uh, this is uh, probably inappropriate, but what if – Cops had knives. Do you think it would be an acceptable? Because like, well, they have billy clubs. I know, but like, you never hear of a police force having a knife because it seems too violent. For guns are okay, I guess, but like, if he had a knife and he stabbed somebody who also had a knife, that would be not cool, right? Nobody would be for that. Not cool. It would be so much worse in my head. I don't believe how ridiculous it is. Like, why is that worse? I agree. I agree. It's ridiculous, but a knife is fucking personal, and a gun is and it. And yeah, maybe that's part of the problem they is that the gun is so wildly impersonal. No, but we're no, the like, you know, cops if it's are not like... walking around with fucking switchblades. It's not <laughs> legally anyway. I've never heard of a police force. Maybe they do. Some bum, you know, some Wyoming place. I Google it. It says most police officers do carry knives, but far more for use in mundane cutting chores. Right. It's a, it's Private a tool. In a truck it's not it says a as a weapon, it's, a, it's best as a last ditch weapon. I think the thinking would be is that if you're that close that you can stab them, that you you don't want to end up in that sort of a situation, right? Yeah, right. So if they, they serve can no take purpose. your knife. Right. They can take your knife. They can take your gun. You never want to be... That's why they fucking freak out, is that whenever they're in a grappling situation, they fucking lose their fucking heads. And that's right. what happens. That's how that traffic stop the week before ended up escalating right is that there was way too much close grappling and in the cops heads if you lose control of the situation that criminal is going to or criminal that individual might potentially take control of your gun you're carrying around a means of your own destruction at all times and if you're that close to a person and they knock you out they can make off with your gun and either kill you then or kill somebody else later and it's funny that this is the incident that follows – because you remember I sent you that podcast a couple of weeks ago oh, yeah. with the, the guy talking about what we really need here is a great deal more training in interpersonal combat. That if we had a police force that was actually good at restraining individuals, that we wouldn't have a lot of these interactions that end up with guns being fired. 
Speaking of infomercials, that I I think he's right, but I decided basically it's his thing, right? That he's right, right. It's a long commercial for his own right. fucking company. But Not to right, say that I, he's I, necessarily getting rich off of it or anything like right, that. Right, right. I do wonder how long it would take to because there are some uh, less than in shape comps out there. Like, I wonder how long it yeah. would take for them to kind of get up to speed to get fit enough to, or can they teach anybody this? Is this like the magic bullet thing, like infomercial where? It has you can broad teach, You can teach and, anybody. Yeah, you can teach people things, but if they're super out of shape, then they're not going to be very good at those things. Sure, but he's going to be better at, he's not going to be any worse at interacting <laughs> with the public. The cops, <laughs> one the thing I noticed immediately when I was in Germany at the World Cup, which was fun, there was like a group of cops over there, and every single one of them was scary. Like, oh, really? <laughs> they were super, like, you will not run away from them. You okay. will not beat them at anything. All right. They were, they were very fit, scary people. The gun, the gun that we hand the police is a convenient shortcut to hours and hours of actual training and a maintenance of that training, right? Right. There's minimal continuing education for police, whereas it should be a foundational part of their week. Like there should be multiple hours of ongoing training right. every and, week. And- and, and and you're right. I I still think though part of that training should also include de-escalation because like you don't want to be wrestling with anybody. Like I mean, if you have to, you better be prepared and trained for no, it. No, the but- overwhelming majority of it should be psychological and and de-escalation stuff. But there should also be right. ongoing at a minimum a couple of hours a week or a couple hours a month rather than two hours every two years right. of physical training in terms of uh, how to deal with close combat situations well we got a pilot case over in marietta so we'll see how that works out yeah if i can find any articles writing up the the case in marietta i will because they they ran a pilot program there where they did a lot of martial arts training on their police and reduced the number of violent interactions with the general public by some great great number as a result or at least as a correlation hopefully they're not using 2020 numbers when everybody was at home. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about tonight? I don't think so. Are we going to talk about uh, what we've been watching? Yeah, I guess so. All right. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. You can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. You can also just head over to the website, brainiron.com. I tried the blog this weekend. Oh, um, how'd it go? No, I didn't. <laughs> Instead, I didn't. <laughs> you didn't try. You played Worms. Yeah. Instead, I played video games. I you didn't thought... try to do anything. You successfully played Worms. So I wrote in my head while playing Worms four out of five entries into the blog I was going to write and then gave up and decided not to do it instead. I was... but to the naked eye, it looked like you were just playing all along. Just. Yeah, well, I used to, yes, actually, but I used to do the, that Sunday, like, found in the gutter, and I would talk about five things I learned in the newspaper today, mm-hmm. uh, and I was going to do one of those, and then instead I... do four. Instead I played video games. Yeah. He killed lots of worms. What, I, I'm not familiar with this. That's uh, not worth talking about. The opening <laughs> and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. He sent us an email, uh, brainironpodcast at gmail.com i've been sticking the all of the various contact information in the show note so if you just click 
in your little uh, podcast player there, you can either go to, you can either email us directly from there or head on over to the website for a full show note. I put videos and pictures and stuff and sometimes blog a little bit about the episode. What have we been watching? We watched, uh, so you said, said we don't watch movies. He's a fucking liar. Yeah. You watched, uh, more, you went to the theaters and saw Mortal Kombat on Saturday night. We watched it on HBO. We watched it at home. They made that Scorpio or Scorpion look pretty weak. Scorpion. I didn't no, know he was, was Japanese great. either. That movie, uh, fucking sucked. Oh, it was fine. <laughs> it, it wasn't particularly good. No, but okay. Bob, was it better? Or not as good as the nanny that you made me watch. So it was obviously uh, better than the Mortal Kombat from the 1990s. We also watched that recently. It was way better than the 90s Mortal Kombat. By the way, there was no Mortal Kombat tournament. This is like a prequel. Right. This was obviously a prequel setting up the tournament. That's not what the title said. It said Mortal Kombat. Right. There were, no, a, by the way, the most number of people I've seen in a theater in like over a year. There were sixty people there laughing and. Oh, that's that, why my that's why my AMC stock uh, fucking pumped up the last couple of yeah, days. Mortal I guess. Also, did they play the music throughout yeah, the movie? Yeah, they did. Did they? Because I didn't hear it. Uh, no, they didn't. Oh, they they did. didn't really play it. They did a. Oh, they teased it. They, they teased did, it beautifully. Yeah, they wanted to watch the second movie. I'm like. <laughs> Something weird about so not that all movie all movies need to have like uh, tits and sex and plenty of eye candy for the gross dudes in the audience. Yeah, but this was like but a. But none of them do anymore. This is like a very weirdly. This this movie, like I said, I'm not saying that this one in particular needed to have it, but there's no sex, not even a hint of of Was there sexuality. Any the first? No. In, well, no, no, no. I'm not talking, but but specifically in this movie. And yeah, I would say that the 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 one from the '90s was more overtly. There was some flirtatiousness. Yeah, there was like some undercurrent of sexuality happening where you could imagine that these were uh, living creatures the with problem, normal biological this was urges. An R-rated movie, and the one in the '90s, I believe, wasn't. Right. This is an R-rated movie where you could. Well, it was pretty gory. It was. Yes. Yeah. No. There's no. Not also, even. Where would you fit in sex? I mean, this is uh, people are fighting to the death, like Bob. No time for all this. It, that's actually, not. That's you. not what I'm saying. I'm not saying in particular. But there's not even a hint that, that any of the relationships in this movie, like even the one between the what's his fucking name and his wife and his daughter, like if you, oh the you scorpion have to be, guy, yeah, it was PG-13 you in have the nineties. You have to be paying very close attention to even understand that that is a relationship yes, between thought, two parents and a daughter. Yes, I thought it was his girlfriend and his little sister for like a long time. And not even a uh, girlfriend. She very, like, except yeah, for like that one very chaste kiss that she gives him yeah. when she greets him outside the restaurant after his, his fight where he gets his ass kicked. There's no indication that these people have any physical desire for one another, despite oh, yeah, being right. your, yeah. your normal looking hot Hollywood people. The thing that's weird is your PG-13 1995 Mortal Kombat, your target audience is around 13, right? Like it's... Horny teenage boys. Well, but like about 12, you can't but yeah. do too much sex stuff if you're going to make it a PG-13 movie. Right. Like you already have the violence. You're right. never going to get an R rating with too much sex stuff. But this was an R rated movie. 
you should be able to put all the sex stuff in you want and it would be fine. Bob is, he hasn't been so right about anything like in a long time. Most movies these days, there's no like sex in movies anymore. It's just, you have porn and then you have movies. Oh, I see. There just isn't. There used to be. There used to be sex scenes. Like in that Tom Cruise movie that I made up just now, but I know that there is one. (laughs) Like there's a sex scene in a Tom Cruise movie. Right. There's no no steamy shit between Hollywood leads. That is true. In in any of these big, any of the big movies. I'm sure that you can find plenty of like goofy. There's indie porn stuff. Indie stuff that does plenty of sex. Yeah. But that's not the issue. The issue so is like the big movies, especially the R-rated ones. Yeah, I don't think there was any sex like scene none. between Godzilla and King Kong. No, well, but that was like a PG thirteen. No, there was that weird thing where one like somebody thought King Kong was hot or something, right? There's a moment <laughs> in that movie where somebody's in this talking most about recent one. Yeah, in the more recent one where somebody's talking about how he's like super ripped or something. It was very inappropriate. <laughs> uh. I guess I just can't get it right. It's like if you can get it right, just leave it be yeah i'm not saying that like i'm desperate for movies because i've always felt he awkward. doesn't have to say it right, right. I, I've, I've always felt awkward watching like if i'm in a movie theater or watching a movie in the room with my mother or something and it's like yeah this feels yeah, weird yeah. like that, it doesn't feel good but it's just in it's interesting to me that there's that it's just completely gone from adult cinema at this point and maybe it is just because you don't it's not what we're seeking out when we go and watch we can just movies watch now. Porn now. Right. right. And even television has, there's plenty, like, it's just HBO or pornography. Like, yeah, and like Bridgerton. Right. The sex there. I guess. <laughs> yeah. We saw some. Anyway, you saw Mortal Kombat. I saw Not my, a glowing review. No. Uh, I've, I've also been watching um, this show on HBO or HBO Max, whatever. Uh, Generation Hustle is kind of like a. 10 episode documentary where they just show all these people getting duped by things. The very first episode, all episodes are not created equal, but the very first episode is about people who are getting conned by like, you know, they dreamed of being a screenwriter and then somebody online is like, oh, I read your script. Come to like Thailand and pay your own way, but we'll pay you back. And like, (laughs) they're explaining this. It's like, how did you not know from the get go that this was a scheme? So it's like, this person sold millions of dollars from like hundreds of people just kind of playing into their whatever they're good at. Like one person is a photographer. Right. It's a lot of fun. I just, at least there are people out there who are like, they swallow their pride and they're like, I'll, I'm willing to come out public and say this because I would take it to my grave if I got conned like that. There was, a piece in the Times, there was a piece in the Times this Sunday about Mackenzie uh, Scott. Formerly oh, uh, Mackenzie Bezos. Nay Bezos, yeah, for, formerly married to Jeff Bezos, who has made a name for herself by sort of quietly and almost secretly giving away billions of dollars to people who weren't even really asking for it. So, like, right. just finding charities to support without publicly doing so, like something that you would normally you'd hold up as like a paragon of the of how to do charity, which is to just deliver big sums of money to the people who are doing the work on the ground, right? Without making right. a big deal out of it. Right. And instead, what it's led to is this rise in people pretending to be Mackenzie Bezos and just like cold calling people and saying, hey, I heard you were looking for money. Uh, I work for the Mackenzie Bezos Foundation and we're giving away a whole pile of it. 
uh, just set up this bank account for us. Oh, and uh, you need to prepay the taxes on it. So send us $8,500 yeah. and we'll get this all sorted out for you. And there's enough fucking like gullible, unfortunately, gullible morons out there who will fall for it. Right. There's always somebody that's going to fall for it. One more way that you know that uh, Twitter is a shithole website that should be permanently shuttered is that anytime a sufficiently viral tweet happens that is anything related to Elon Musk, some of the first prioritized responses will be from people pretending to be Elon Musk or pretending to work for Elon Musk and saying, I'm Elon and I'm giving away $3 million in Bitcoin to the first 50 people who email me at such and such address or go to this website and fill out this form. And so not only is this working for these fucking assholes, but it's getting the sort of engagement that the Twitter algorithm reliably puts at the top of the responses in my feed, right? So like literally every day I'm seeing these stupid bot responses to uh, Twitter controversies that are fake Elon Musk accounts trying to convince people to send them money. Like, and that's the machine that we've built. That's the world that we live in right now. (laughs) Glad I got that one off my chest. (laughs) Also, one last thing. You can just delete it. <laughs> on, on the uh, on the book front, I would recommend to not go from bridge to whatever to the color purple because I made that transition. Bridge to Terabithia. Yeah, I, I did read uh, the Judge book also, but like that color purple book just starts off pretty rough. Like just opens with a rape. I and think like, it also ends rough. I think you're reading a sad book. It's mostly bad. Yeah, I'm like halfway yeah. through it. I was like, boy, there's no I let don't up. I think it gets... Yeah. They stay black. Yeah. So <laughs> it doesn't they end up much better. They don't better. time travel 200 years into the future. <laughs> it's bad all the way around. Well, uh, Abe, do you have anything else for us tonight? Actually, no, I don't. That's all. Oh, all right then. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight then, and we will... Talk to you next time. Later. There was none of that. It was all just, right. uh, boy, this guy who was in the... What's his name? Uh, Tyler Perry. No. Chadwick uh, Boseman. No. Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Stop saying names. Michael Douglas. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix. No. <laughs> this is fun. here to present the award for actor and I'm supposed to talk about uh, acting and specifically uh, the transformative moment when an actor discovers the character and fully embodies it Uh, but I don't really know anything about that I don't think that I've ever really had that experience so um, I think the only thing that I can say with sincerity is that when I uh, watch these five performances, I feel inspired 
and it's a shame that we have to choose just one. So the nominees for actor are Anthony Hopkins, the father. Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal. Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Gary Oldman, Mank. Stephen Young, Minari. And the Academy Award for Actor goes to Anthony Hopkins, The Father. The Academy congratulates Anthony Hopkins and accepts the Oscar on his behalf. Thank you. a lot of infomercials like just not appointment viewing but if i just stumble upon an infomercial i'm not gonna go anywhere i'm gonna see how this story goes you know so oh yeah good is no standard of mine i'm literally like in the i gotta be in the 99th percentile also i watch a lot of infomercials where would you fit in sex i wouldn't write that on my diary